0: Good morning brothers and sisters, God calls us to worship him and so we may come into his presence this morning to praise and glorify his name. We extend a warm welcome to any guests and visitors who are with us today. May we all draw near to our faithful God with humble and contrite hearts and be strengthened and enriched by the preaching of his word this morning. Consistory has the following announcements. The congregation is reminded that Reverend Tahart will preach in our church this afternoon with an opportunity to meet and greet Reverend and Mrs. Tahart after the service. And Wards 2, 4 and 6 are invited to remain behind this afternoon. Reverend Tim and Sister Alana Slah have arrived with attestations from the Canadian Reformed Church of Ancaster. We welcome this family into our congregation and look forward to their arrival on the mission field in PNG which is expected to be the 28th of this month the Lord willing. We farewell our sister Serena Bolhos who has requested an attestation to the Chilliwack Canadian Reformed Church And we wish her the Lord's blessing in her new congregation. And this morning, the worship service will be led by Reverend Archbold. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together from hymn 44, verse 1, 2, and 4.
1: that we can acknowledge our dependence upon the Lord using the words of Psalm 124 verse 8 when we acknowledge that our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heaven and the earth and we hear his greeting grace be to us and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ amen we rejoice in the Lord and his might by singing number 68, Psalm 68, stanzas 1 and 2, 68, stanzas 1 and 2. Again, from Exodus chapter 20 uh, keeping in mind what we just sang that uh, God is great and infinite in his might and glory and exaltation and it is this same God that has given us these commandments from Exodus 20 the Ten Commandments and God spoke all these words saying I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And uh, we respond to these words now by singing hymn number 28 which uh, has as its subject God's law, hymn 28, stanzas 1, 2, and 4. every part of our service, this is true, but in our prayers as well, we look to God in prayer through Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, you have warned us that if we have broken one law, we have broken them all. And the reading of your law has again this morning convicted us of this, that we have broken all, one way or another, in thought or indeed in what we have done and what we have left undone for father we have come to realize that each of these ten Commandments and they themselves a summary of many other things many other details but with each of them they indicate to us that we should be doing the opposite of that which is forbidden father we have done what is forbidden but we've also not done what is required Concerning the worship of your name Concerning doing that according to your word Taking your word seriously rather than in vain We have coveted that which is unlawful and put too high a priority even on lawful things And not enough of a priority on you and on your church and your kingdom and your word Father, you have warned us that the wages of such sins is death, even for one of them. Physical death and spiritual death and eternal death. We are aware that that is the wage that we would deserve to have paid to us, were it not for the work of your Son, as we just sang, who paid that price for us on the cross. Father, we thank you for sending him on our behalf and it is in his name that we plead for the forgiveness of our sins which are too many even for us to count father we pray that you would help us now to know and be assured that we are forgiven we uh, sometimes struggle with this some more than others we confess and have trouble laying hold of the promises that you've given to us we continue sometimes to condemn ourselves for things for which the Lord Jesus Christ has paid. And at other times we confess that we don't act upon uh, seriously enough upon the fact that he has paid for them by demonstrating thankfulness for that, by not only our obedience, but also by our trust in these promises that all are summed up in him. And so, Father, we ask that you would increase our desire to live according to your commandments, but also to trust in your good promises. Father, you have never once failed to keep your promises. And uh, the things that still await consummation, we can have complete confidence that those things too will reach that point. And yet, we are so weak and so prone to doubt we admit father that we need much help to trust and obey because of this weakness will you keep us from arrogantly trusting our own strength rather that we would continue to seek your help and your strength and to trust in Christ's merits rather than thinking that we can trust and obey simply by force of our own will and that that trust and that obedience is somehow good enough in itself father keep us from such things but keep us looking to Christ and to that end Lord we pray that you would help us to attend carefully to the reading and preaching of your word we know that our our hearing is a part of our worship how we listen to your word is part of our worship part of our public worship as well as private something that we offer to you as part of our service to you And so, Father, we pray that you would grant to us humble hearts, hearts that are able to listen even to things that are difficult for us to hear, especially when they talk about our sins and weaknesses and when they talk about the requirements of your law, which sometimes are so difficult for us. But enable us to listen with the the humility to accept such things and to trust in what you have said rather than in ourselves, with a desire to obey, with a desire to serve you. Help us also to have a desire to be more effective in our witness to you. More effective in demonstrating gratitude in response to what we hear from you and about you. Father, will you be with us in this way through the rest of our worship service, as well as lives at home and in whatever else we turn our hands to during the week, that we may honour your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first uh, scripture reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 2. Verses 15 to 17. 1 John 2. Chapter 2 from verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires, But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Good uh, verses to keep in mind as uh, we come in a moment, a few moments to the sermon this morning. But uh, before we do that, we also will turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. And verses 16 to 25. Galatians 5 from verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Lord has uh, spoken. Words of truth unbroken, and that also includes these words that we've just heard and the reading of uh, the law earlier. Psalm 33, stanzas 1 and 6. 33, stanzas 1 and 6. on the book of Ecclesiastes, and the text for the sermon and reading now is from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 to 11. Heading in the ESV, the Vanity of Self-Indulgence. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of men, of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. Of man so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem also my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil and this was my reward for all my toil then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it and behold All was vanity and striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Covenant people of God, uh, there is a, a view, a Jewish interpretation, that King Solomon left his throne for a time. And wandered through the earth and tried everything. Everything under the sun. Trying to find some meaning in life under the sun. But according to this story, finally he returned to his throne in Jerusalem. Having discovered that there is no meaning apart from God. After this time of straying. And then, 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 according to the story, that's when he wrote Ecclesiastes. Be that as it may, the book is certainly set out as a series of tests or, or experiments, if you like, in which the author speaks as though he were personally conducting experiments on the various things that sinners do to try to find some meaning in their lives apart from God. Things they do to try try to find heaven on earth. The experiment in this part of Ecclesiastes in chapter 2, or at least this first part of the chapter, is with an experiment in pleasures of various kinds. Can the pleasures of this life compensate for the lack of meaning in life? Or can the pleasures of this life even somehow provide that meaning in life? Is it possible that through such things you can, as it were, create heaven on earth? Well, I know that um, it's a bit of a, a dated song these days, but uh, if you listen to light uh, radio stations, you might hear it occasionally. Uh, not that I hear, can say I particularly enjoy the music, but Uh, There is a song I sometimes have heard in the background on the radio in various places by Madonna, the uh, singer, so a bit dated now, but um, she sang a very popular song about how uh, heaven is a place on earth. And the meaning in the song is that that heaven on earth was created by love in human relationships. And that is, of course, a very common theme in contemporary music, whatever genre we talk about, whatever kind of music you listen to, if you listen to secular music you'll pretty soon come across this point that we can find heaven on earth in such things. Cast out from paradise, it appears that the descendants of Cain tried to find meaning in their life by building cities, that's one of the things they did, but also by inventing things and one of the things they invented was music. The philosophy being Don't worry if God has thrown you out of paradise, you can make your own paradise, your own heaven on earth. And the human race, in its sin, has been trying to do that ever since. We're going to examine this morning whether that is possible under two headings. First of all, testing the pleasures of this life, and secondly, the results of this test. Testing the pleasure and the results of that test. In the first place, uh, we we need to be a little bit careful in assessing the nature of the writer's method of experimentation with pleasure. When you read this text, and especially verse 10, I kept my heart from no pleasure, that uh, probably conjures up uh, some image of a man who's throwing himself into all sorts of depraved activities on the excuse that, it's just I'm just doing it for science this is just an experiment you know what they say uh, you can't knock it till you've tried it so we have to try these things in this experiment and then we can make a good objective assessment of them Well, I'd like you to note in that connection that the words enjoy yourself in verse 3 literally read This is in the part that says, uh, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. That last part literally means, consider with goodness. And note also verse 3, till I might see what was good. And twice he says that his wisdom never departed him. Verses 3 and 9. So this is not some reckless abandon in trying out all kinds of depravity. It also points ahead, this this literal reading here, points ahead to what we will consider in the second point when we get to that. That there is indeed a good way of enjoying the God-given pleasures of this life, but there's also a wrong way and at the moment we're considering the wrong way. The wrong way is expressed, as we've already seen, by the expression, under the sun. That is, enjoying the pleasures of this life apart from God. And one aspect of that, the wrong type of pleasure-seeking, is that which is done selfishly. And I drew attention for that reason to the the heading in the ESV for this part of the chapter, The Vanity of Self-Indulgence. Making pleasure an end in itself, whether, and you can do this for lawful things as well as for unlawful things. You can make them into an end in themselves, and the pleasure you get from those things, an end in themselves. And in that connection, when you make something an idol in that way to make it, because that's what happens when you make something, pleasure included, an end in itself, you are turning it into an idol. And notice in that connection, throughout this this section, this text, the expression, for myself. It's actually used around about eight times in the text. Uh, Some translations bring that out more clearly. The New American Standard, for example, has that phrase, I did this or that, for myself, those eight times. The ESV alternates between the word my and for myself but the idea is the same that whatever you do even if you are doing lawful things if you don't do it for God's glory it is going to involve either putting yourself on a pedestal or putting some other aspect of creation or perhaps another person on a pedestal turning them into an idol. So let's work our way through these pleasures the ones that are mentioned in this passage. The first one we may describe as the use of humour. Verse 2. I said of laughter and of pleasure. And the word for pleasure that is used in this particular case is actually quite similar to the word for laughter. It's a word that can be translated mirth or gaiety. You know what they say? Laughter is the best medicine. And many people try to use that medicine fairly heavily. They try to co- cope with the problems of life by making a joke out of it, probably to cover up the hurt that is inside. Many others look to comedy, often with uh, these days with very dubious content. In fact, I think it's hard to find any comedy these days that doesn't have dubious content. But uh, they try to look to comedy to distract themselves so they don't have to think too deeply about things but they can keep on chuckling at least on the outside but the preacher says that if you do this in a way that ignores the Lord this laughter this use of humor and comedy is no better than madness it is madness to laugh your way to hell that really is madness to try to hide from the problems in your life that desperately need to be dealt with, but you are distracting yourself by just having a, a good old laugh about things. It is a case of, uh, well, the, you know, the expression, fiddling while Rome burns. Being on the way to hell is no laughing matter. Moreover, says the preacher, what is the use of this? It is of no use, ultimately speaking. It is not useful to pretend that problems, deep problems, do not exist in your life when they do. It is not useful to ignore the problem of your bondage to the devil, if that is the case, because you're more concentrating on being amused, amusing ourselves to death, as uh, per the title of the book. The second experiment is with wine, verse 3 and we might include under that heading other drugs, popular drugs, in our society as well. Also used to dull the pain or as part of our effort to hide from it. Note that the writer, and once again you can think, uh, you can imagine the writer experimenting and having one glass, two glass, three, four, five, and just keeping going until he is completely uh, out of his skull, as they say and uh, you can imagine that, but he doesn't say that he was inebriated. He says his mind was still guiding him wisely through this experiment. An experiment, nevertheless, to see if certain substances could give lasting happiness or could give meaning to life. But once again, though the writer doesn't state this openly in this part of the text, he does state it in his conclusion later, this is just another way of distracting and of hiding from the truth and it's a method that was very popular in the ancient world and it's a method that's very popular today the third area of experimentation was in building things verses 4 through to the first part of verse 8 something for which King Solomon was certainly famous he built the temple in Jerusalem he built palaces he built cities and forts he expanded the vineyards he'd inherited from King David his father he made gardens and parks full of fruit trees and ponds of water to water those trees and also to bathe in all possible because of the wealth with which the Lord had blessed him but here he is looking to see if such things could give Meaning and lasting joy apart from the Lord. He also built up his wealth, his power, his army, his possessions. He had slaves, and he even conscripted some workers on uh, rotation or something of that kind for his own, from his own people, uh, setting things up later for more serious forms of slavery in the kingdom. That which would contribute to a large degree to the division of the kingdom, in fact. In 1 Kings 4 and 5 and 9, you can read about that. And all of this was for the country's benefit. Some was for Solomon's personal benefit, for myself. He increased flocks and herds, silver and gold, works of art. His wealth became legendary. Chronicles 9. Though in doing such things, he was actually ignoring part of God's word. He ignored Deuteronomy 17, the rules for kings in Israel. Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, and he, that is the king of Israel, shall not acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And note that key phrase again in that verse as well, shall not acquire for himself. The refrain through this chapter for myself, for myself, for myself. At any anyway, rate, this is another common strategy today for sinners to bury themselves in their projects. Creating things, building things, amassing things, house and garden, hobbies and art, businesses, wealth. And with that, either the busy activity of collecting and that includes also hobbies too of course the busy activity of collecting and building or the activity of enjoying the fruits of those things can be a big distraction can even take you away from your family life Can even take you away from your church life to some extent but many people do it so that they are not left alone with their own thoughts And with their own problems, including the problem of sin and estrangement from the Lord. Or perhaps for some cases, it may be such with a workaholic, for example, that the thing he's running from and hiding from is a problem in his relationship with his wife or other family issues. People running and hiding. The fourth area of investigation we could summarise as the pleasures of the senses. And that's in the second part of verse 8. Two are mentioned first, music, uh, male and female singers, a pleasure to the ears, and the physical pleasures, the delight of the sons of men, many concubines. Of course, uh, Solomon had many wives as well as many concubines, 700 wives and 300 concubines, to be precise. And once again, this was contrary to the law for rulers in Israel. Again, Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Not to mention the fact that it's contrary to God's creation ordinance regarding marriage in the very beginning of time. Uh, Solomon may have done this for political reasons, to cement alliances with foreign kings, or for the political reason of demonstrating how much vigorous power he had, that he could manage uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. A a, a superhuman uh, feat, uh, I would suggest, to uh, be able to have that many wives and concubines. Uh, It is difficult enough uh, calling before God, if you are married, to treat one wife in a godly and proper way without having 700 plus 300 concubines but uh, at any rate uh, Solomon allowed his wives to uh, also to keep their idolatrous religions and he even facilitated in that and that turned his heart away from the Lord to some extent as you can read in 1 Kings 11 verse 3 and as Deuteronomy 17 warned This, too, is an extremely common approach today. Karl Marx claimed that religion is the opiate of the masses. But it is apparent today that both music and sex play that role. Many surround themselves with music, often turned up very loud, whether they're jogging along the roadside, or working out at the gym, or uh, even when they're at work. Sometimes, depending on the job or relaxing at home. Sometimes, I think, they might as well have earbuds surgically implanted. Seems to be there all the time anyway. Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes investigated such things with his mind. But music today, I would suggest, is very often used to stop the mind from investigating. It's very difficult to think when you are listening to your favourite music up loud. Not to mention the, what is often the case, I would suggest an element of selfish individualism in this. I'm not interested in hearing your music, I'm only interested in hearing what I like and I'm going to turn it up so loud that you have no choice but to listen to my music as well. Similarly, we live in a sex-saturated society. It's even difficult to find a children's movie these days for little children that doesn't have at least some innuendo in it. And, of course, anything goes in movies and series for adults. The availability and the use of pornography is of pandemic proportion in the world, and the drip of that into the church is turning into a gush. And we're certainly finding that in New Zealand uh, more and more, not only for the younger people either and uh, this really is becoming a huge concern in our churches we i don't know what you've done here but we have uh, made this a standard question in home visits and the question was considered and phrased this way what are you doing to guard yourself and your family against pornography uh, so that question is phrased to try and bring people to discuss things more openly openly instead of just saying oh yeah no problem let's move on next question but at any rate it is becoming a big problem and it's another deadly distraction and it's another way of escaping from having to think about your life and it is another way of pretending that you have value and you have meaning in life and it's another way of turning your heart from the lord But that's the danger whenever the Lord is left out of the picture. Well, from what we saw last week and from what we've already seen in this first point, it's clear that these experiments are not and they are never going to justify making the things of this life and the pleasure they give ends in themselves. They simply do not and cannot give ultimate meaning in life or lasting joy if the Lord is ignored but more can be said about that. that. Our second and final point, the result of the test. As we consider the results it's helpful to distinguish short-term from long-term results and it's helpful to distinguish between the things and the results that can be seen on the outside and those that the Lord sees on the inside. In the short term and on the surface Solomon for example had a great outcome. He was for a time and in a sense the greatest man on earth. Even the Queen of Sheba thought so. And she came from some distance to see that greatness and she, a queen herself, she was impressed. Even by Israel's terms of reference and their experience Solomon was greater at least in wealth and power Than any before, verse 9, though certainly not greater in godliness. Now, in one respect, this greatness was a good thing. Solomon's wealth and power and glory and the peace that he brought, relatively speaking, to Israel pointed to Christ as the king of peace and the one who is absolutely full of glory. So, there was a positive reason why the Lord blessed him with these things it is also true to say that these experiences did bring pleasure to the one conducting the experiments the writer says that he withheld no pleasure from himself and though he acknowledges that there was toil involved in this sometimes hard work least for the slaves and conscripts perhaps or maybe for himself as well in some ways there was toil involved in it but he said there was also internal pleasure in it in my heart he says there was pleasure and there was also some sense of reward in it it was rewarding the things that he did there was a sense of satisfaction in it and we can't deny that we can't deny that the things of this life can bring a certain amount of satisfaction even sinful activities can produce feelings of pleasure and satisfaction. But note first this, that the writer is saying that this pleasure and this satisfaction was what, in what he had done, in his toil, and the fruits of it, the results. And you see, the pleasures that are derived from a self-centred approach to life are self-centred pleasures. Please note that pleasures derived from a self-centred approach to life are self-centred pleasures. When people today, therefore, claim that they are happy with their lives and with their pursuits and their pleasures, we don't need to try and convince them that they're simply pretending, that they are really unhappy when they tell us they're happy, and they are really dissatisfied when they tell us they're satisfied. And that we, uh, we tell them they have no sense of fulfilment when they claim they do. Though it is true that deep down they know that there is a God. And they know deep down that they are ignoring that God and they are suppressing that truth in unrighteousness. That is the case. However, what we want to say based on what we read here, we want to point out to them is that such pleasure as they experience is relatively superficial and it is short-lived. Perishable things, and here's another uh, kind of statement we can make about pleasure, perishable things can only in themselves produce perishable pleasures. Our ability to enjoy a particular thing wanes or the thing itself vanishes from the scene that song that was thrashed to death in the past and which was the highest point in your experience of music suddenly doesn't hold the same attraction any longer. It's now ancient history, fit only for something occasionally on a classic pop or rock radio station or something of that kind. Or fit only for perhaps a little bit of nostalgia. That list of phone numbers, of past girlfriends, boyfriends, partners, concubines, or whatever else, that list, no longer the older ones on that list, no longer hold any attraction, and if they have any use, it is perhaps only for calling them in between other relationships, when there's no one else immediately on the horizon. And I've met people who act just like that. That uh, business that absorbs so much time that took you away at times unnecessarily from your family, from your wife and your children, or from your husband and your children, or took you away from church activities, that business has either collapsed, or you've got a new job, and that one's now past history, or you've retired. That money that was so important to you, your bank balance, now you've got a new target, and that old amount that seemed to be before The pinnacle of wealth is now, it seems, like a paltry amount. The house and garden have been sold and now you have another until you end up in a small unit or in a nursing home and then after that an even smaller plot of land in a cemetery. Well, the problem is not, of course, with finding pleasure in earthly things, or at least the lawful use of them. As I keep saying, the problem comes When we elevate that pleasure to an end in itself and treat it as if it can give us lasting or ultimate pleasure apart from the Lord. And that is the preacher's conclusion. That is what he means in verse 1 when he says that, Behold, this also was vanity. And then also in verse 11, beginning and capping this section off in this way, Behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. Just emptiness, in other words, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The solution to this is not that which has been adopted by so many to some extent in the early, but especially in the medieval church, the ascetics way of depriving the body of earthly pleasures or even punishing the body to put it in its place and teach it a lesson. Hermits living in caves, enforced celibacy, people sleeping through the cold European winter on stone without any covering or self-flagellation, whipping yourself and such things, those very common ways of punishing the body. The solution to it is to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us, the lawful ones, giving thanks to Him and putting them to His service for His glory. Another way of saying that, the solution to this is to build uh, everything we do on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to go over again what that means, what does it mean to build things on the foundation of Christ? It means to be thankful that Jesus Christ has redeemed this aspect of life so that a Christian person doing it in his strength and merit can actually give acceptable service to God, glory to God through it. That is one aspect of building on Christ, but also using those things to promote His name, to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, to promote His church and His kingdom, and also using those things to benefit others, loving our neighbour as ourselves, but especially those of the household of the faith. And doing all of that according to the principles of His word. That is what it means to build on Christ with these things. Take for example, marriage. There is pleasure in marriage. And I'm talking about to one person at a time, not to 700 wives and 300 concubines, to one person at a time. But that marriage should be used to glorify God by demonstrating the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. That is building your marriage on the foundation of Christ. Music too is a good gift that reflects the beauty of the Lord and by the way the Lord is the one who invented beauty in this world. He created it. Music as I said is a good gift that reflects the beauty of the Lord and also reflects his orderliness. It is an important part of worship and we can learn from that to give thanks and praise to God for the gift of music and we can learn to do that by the music as for example we sing our praises in services and we can also serve God by pointing out to others that the proper use of music can only be found in Jesus Christ and you can take that approach and you can do that with any of these other earthly pleasures building on the foundation of Christ There is ample evidence in Scripture that this is what God intends for the pleasures of this life. Psalm 104 verse 15 states that wine is given to gladden the heart. There's nothing wrong with that enjoyment in itself. Oil and food are mentioned in the same verse. Psalm 128 verses 1 and 2, it extols the blessings of family life, of children, with the the fruit of your hands bringing happiness to the one who fears the Lord says the psalm. as we saw last week God's people do not labor in vain our work has an important place in our service of God Isaiah 65 verse 23 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 These earthly blessings should not be discounted or ignored just because there is a greater consummation of blessing to come in the next life. On the other hand, the blessings of this life should not be treated as if they already were the consummation of blessing with nothing greater to come. Nor should they be treated as if our enjoyment of such things is better than the spiritual relationship we have in this life already with Christ in fact you cannot treat the earthly blessings in the right way without that God-given relationship with Christ there is another reason why the Lord warned about such things if we are too tied to them as ends in themselves too tied to the pleasures of this life it can be very hard to give them up when you have to. For example, for the sake of the gospel. Such as in situations of persecution, and let's make no mistake about it, there is already persecution of Christians in the western world. They're not being killed yet, but there is legal, there are legal aspects. There is exclusion on this basis. And the world including the western world will sometimes come to you with this choice where they will, so to speak, say to you, you have a choice. You either give up your service and obedience or your proclamation of Christ in this particular area or you are going to risk losing some pleasures of this life that are really important to you. And if you're too tied to those things, it's going to be hard to make that choice the right way. The idolatrous love of earthly pleasures then threatens our relationship with the Lord. Remember that pointed question that the Lord Jesus asked when he said that even if you gained the whole world, and we could add, even if you gained all of the pleasures of life, all the pleasures that men seek, what does it gain? What does it profit you if you lose your soul in the process? The Lord spoke those words in Matthew 16, and he did it in the context of explaining the cost of discipleship. And if you want to be a faithful disciple of Christ, then you need to take these words in Ecclesiastes 2 seriously as well. Because how we deal with earthly pleasures is an important part of that discipleship. For the one who is a disciple of Christ and a subject of Christ, he puts the king first, and he puts his kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And all these things does not mean all the pleasures that men seek, but it does refer to our true and basic needs but above and beyond even that seeking his kingdom first means seeking God's pleasure first instead of you pursuing your own pleasure in a selfish manner in fact our greatest pleasure in this life ought to be seeking his pleasure in the merit and the strength of Christ and when we do that then we will have the pleasure of enjoying God forever, which ought to be the greatest pleasure to us as well. So here's another little statement we could make about pleasure. Pleasure in imperishable things leads to imperishable pleasure. These truths are foreshadowed in chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, which is actually the conclusion of the whole part of chapter 2 including the subsection that we've been looking at on pleasure seeking and here finally in that conclusion God is mentioned and enjoying his good gifts in the right way is mentioned and I want to conclude by reading those verses uh, not to expound too much upon them at this point or at all but simply to read them and let them form the conclusion of this sermon There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. But notice what he says next. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For to the one who pleases him God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also, speaking of that life of simply gathering and collecting apart from God, this also is vanity and striving after wind. Amen. In response, we sing from Psalm 24, stanzas 1 to 3. The one who ascends God's holy hill has clean hands and a pure heart and withstands the lure of sin. Of course, the ground of that is Christ, and our deeds in this this life are not perfectly pure in themselves, but in Christ they are regarded as such. Psalm 24, stanzas 1 to 3. prayer is uh, for the ministry of mercy and after that collection we will stand to sing as our doxology psalm 67 stanza 3 and please remain standing for the blessing